0: Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician and a genius. Died in 1662. He's not most famous for his mathematics. However, he's most famous for his little book *Pense*, which is his thoughts. Because until he was 31 years old, he was like Ben, whom you've just heard, on the flight from God. He was running. But something happened November 23rd, 1654, 10.30 p.m. We know it exactly because when it happened to him, he wrote it on a piece of parchment and sewed it into his coat. And it was found eight years later when he died. He was a young man still. And let me read part of what he Wrote on that simple piece of parchment as he sewed it into his coat in 1654. Year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23 November, Feast of St. Clement. From about half past 10 at night to about half an hour after midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certitude, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, may I never be separated from Him. In 1968, Pascal... And C.S. Lewis and Jonathan Edwards and Dan Fuller teamed up to take those words joy, 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 tears of joy, and change my whole orientation on the Bible. This little booklet, Quest for Joy, just recently redesigned in the last few weeks, was born. In 1968, in this revolution that I experienced under the influence of Pascal and Edwards and Lewis and David and Paul and Daniel Fuller, it wasn't written for another 25 years, but it was conceived. Open it up to the front panel and let me read the, the way Pascal assaulted my fear of happiness. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. I have dealt with numerous suicidal people over the years. I've preached at two funerals of suicidal victims. And I don't think that's an overstatement. Though they wouldn't say it exactly like that. I think a suicidal person would say, I hurt so bad in my mind and in my relationships and in my heart I don't think it can get any worse, and therefore, I'm going to end it because I want to end the pain. And ending pain is very closely akin to seeking happiness. It's a big risk. I don't commend it. And before we're done, I hope none of you even is inclined that way. But there it is. Pascal, 1968, this quote blasted me, only the problem was, I always thought this is probably true and sinful. Oh sure, everybody seeks happiness. Everybody's a sinner. And it it never seemed to get inside my head and my skin what God in 1968 and 69 and 70 began to pound away into my heart that self-denial, this biblical reality that Jesus commends, self-denial is not right to want to be happy, which is what my gut told me for so many years. It might sneak up on you and you might have a day of happiness, but to pursue it, to want it, that's bad. And it never hit me, it never got inside me that self-denial is not the renunciation of the quest for joy. It's the renunciation of lesser, inadequate joys for bigger and longer ones. That's what self-denial is. It might cost you your life to get serious about the quest of joy, it cost Jesus His life. It says in the Bible, for the joy that was set before Him, He despised the shame and embraced the cross. cost Him His life to go for joy. might cost you yours. But don't let anybody ever tell you that what Pascal says here is not true. It is true. Everybody seeks happiness. And the most amazing and wonderful thing was to discover that the Bible says astonishing things about joy. So what I want to do with you is kind of take you with me into the Bible. I'm going to go through a lot of Bible passages that you won't have time to look up, even if you did have a Bible with you. But just listen. Listen to what the Bible says about joy. Let it soak you with joy. Coming at this thing called happiness or joy from a lot of different sides. Here they go. There's about 15 of them. Jesus' aim in all he taught was to bring joy to his people. John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Joy is what God fills us with when we trust in Him. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The kingdom of God, if you've ever heard that phrase and wonder what's that, well, here's one of the things that it is. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit the kingdom of god is joy in the holy spirit the joy of god is the fruit of his spirit galatians 5:22 the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace Joy is the aim of everything the biblical writers wrote and did. Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 1.24. Not that we lord it over your faith. We work with you for your joy. Have you ever heard a pastor define his role? A biblical author like the Apostle Paul define his role. I work with you for your joy. Becoming a Christian means finding a joy that is so satisfying it makes you want to forsake everything else to have it. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy sells everything he has and buys that field. That's self-denial. Take my car. There's a billion dollar treasure hidden in the field. I just need enough to get it. Take my life if I can have this treasure. Joy will overtake every sorrow. For those who trust Jesus, Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears, and some of you are this morning, you came here in tears. There is a weight on you, a new piece of news in your life that is so heavy, you wonder if you will make it through this service. Hear this, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Or hear this one from Psalm 30, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The Bible sustains joy. Listen to Psalm 19.8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God himself is our joy, according to Psalm 43.4. I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. You make me know the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If your joy is in God, no one can take it away. John 16, 22. You have sorrow now, Jesus said, but I will see you again. That is, I'm going to rise from the dead. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will be able to take your joy from you. The world has all different kinds of happinesses that it commends to us. They're commended on advertising and television and newspaper and magazines every day. And there is an element of satisfaction, but it will be taken away. When Bruce Fleming died, all the advertised joys ended. And he entered into the joy of his master, the very joy of the living God. God is so big with his heart of joy that he calls all the nations, all the peoples. There are a lot of different ethnic groups represented in this room. Listen to this. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 67.4 or Psalm 66.1. Shout for joy to God. All the earth, all the campus of the University of Minnesota, all of Minneapolis and St. Paul and all the surrounding suburbs. God is not a racist. He is not ethnocentric in his dispositions of joy. He would lavish the world with joy if they would have it in him. The whole Christian message from beginning with the incarnation to the end at the second coming is all about joy. Remember Christmas? The angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And then here's this great word from Isaiah 51, looking forward to the last day of consummation. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Oh, I hope God comes in this room while I'm preaching and enables those of you who are not spiritually minded as a rule to feel for a change in your life that life is very short on this earth and eternity is very long and there is an eternal God and there is a heaven and there is a hell and we part ways at death to the one or the other. One is everlasting joy. One is everlasting misery. And there is a way to ensure that you go the one way and not the other. Here's the last thing. Let me point out. That the Bible says about joy. It's on page two. Inside the booklet. Joy. This just blew me away when I saw this. Is commanded. Did you know. God commands us to seek our happiness. And then I put one verse. I could have put dozens. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Or Psalm 33, 1, Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Or Psalm 32, 11, Be glad in the Lord. Everybody in this room is commanded by your Creator to be happy in God. Now let me try to answer the question, Why? Is it a command? I mean, most of us feel like Joy I like. Commands I don't like. I don't like people telling me what to do. So if God says, enjoy that chocolate Sunday, you'd probably throw in the garbage. <laughs> I don't like to be told what to do. Enjoy sex. No, not going to do that. Don't like to be told what to do. Enjoy sunrises and sunsets and great art. No, we are like that. Well, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Lay down the arms of rebellion that wants to call the shots for yourself and hear your maker say, delight yourself in me. And I'll give you the desires of your heart because then I'll be the desire of your heart. Now here's the reason I think God commands us to be happy. It's because what is at stake in the happiness of his creatures In him is not just our joy, but his glory, his reputation, his honor. If you rejoice in God, delight in God, treasure God, embrace God as your infinitely valuable treasure, he is honored. But if you turn away from Him as a treasure and as a fountain of joy and embrace other things, you dishonor Him, you disrespect Him, you belittle Him. And you know what? Every one of us has done it. Which is why the other pages of this booklet had to be written. And why Jesus had to come into the world And why he had to die and why he had to rise. So let's let's just walk for a few minutes. Turn the page to the next two pages. I've got six truths here. I want to walk through them with you just to show what happens when creatures like us, and every one of us in this room has done this. I, as much as anybody, have preferred other things to God. We have said, no thank you. We have ignored him or insulted him or made fun of him or disbelieved in him and have gone after the things of the world. Some of them seemingly perfectly innocent, but idols, all of them, and an offense to the living God because we didn't delight in him. So what truths do we need to hear? I have two truths here. Number one. God created us for His glory. And there's the Bible passage to support it. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, whom I created for my glory. So you are all created for your glory if Isaiah 43 is true. Second truth, every human should live for God's glory. The Bible passage, 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, One question you might ask is, why do you split those up and put them on two pages instead of collapsing them into one? They sound almost the same. Created for His glory. Live for His glory. why Why do you call this truth one and this truth two? And here's the reason. If I collapse these two truths into one truth, a profoundly crucial, important reality would be missing, namely that God is the origin of all things. He's the measure of all things. He's the goal of all things. This page right here is God's design. This page over here is human duty. If you start with human duty before you start with divine design, you will never understand the gospel in the depth that it is supposed to be understood. Talitha and I, she's my seven year old sitting right here, went on our weekly date yesterday to Arby's on Lake Street. Her choice. We, we turned left off of Hiawatha, and there was a blue minivan in front of us. And I said, look at that bumper sticker. I don't like that bumper sticker. And she couldn't see it. And so I read it to her, and it went like this. It's all about me. Capital M. Big bumper sticker. wasn't even on the bumper. It was on the back of the van. It's all about me. Now, the reason I put page one, truth one here and truth two here is to stress that is not true. It is all about God. This university is all about God. This gathering is all about God. Your life from conception to eternity is all about God. What is it about God? He created us to magnify His worth, His beauty, His value, so that we live in a way that makes Him look good. And you know what the Gospel is? He ordained that the way He looked good is by making us infinitely happy. In him, I never saw it until 1968. And so God made you for His glory by calling you to rejoice in Him. And therefore it is your duty. C.S. Lewis said, writing to his book on prayer, he said, As you know, Malcolm, it is the Christian's duty to be as happy as he can be in God. Let's turn the page. The next two truths describe the fact that we haven't done it and what's going to happen. All of us, number three, all of us have failed to glory, to glorify God as we should. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Truth number four, all of us are subject to God's just condemnation. The wages of sin is... Death. And those could be collapsed into one truth, couldn't they? All of us have fallen short of his glory and the wages of sin is death. We could paraphrase it like this. Because we are all sinners, we deserve God's condemnation. The problem with that is that it would would leave a truth unstressed and unmentioned. Namely, what's the nature of sin? If you jump immediately to the penalty of sin and say, oh yeah, I know I'm worthy of condemnation, and never ask yourself the question, but why? What's the essence of sin? The gruesome cross of Jesus is going to seem like an overreaction to you. What is sin? Sin is a coming short of the glory of God. Most people in the world would say, sin is abusing people. Yes, that's true. But sin is most profoundly abusing God. Sin is not mainly mistreating people. Sin is mainly mistreating God. That's the point of page 3. If that little bumper sticker were paraphrased, my sin is all about me, it would be wrong. My sin is all about the glory of God being defamed by my preferring other things to Him. Until you feel the weight of the wrath of God, Or the weight of the glory of God rejected. I mean, picture it. This is a God who by the word of His mouth brings galaxies into being. The word of God bringing all six billion people into being. The word of God appointing life to be known and enjoyed for His glory. And having the human race stiff arm Him until you feel the weight of the outrage of the universe rebelling against God, hell will seem unjust and the cross will seem like a gruesome overreaction. And that's why there has to be a page three even before we get to a page four. Oh, that God might open your eyes, all of our eyes. To feel the weight of what it means to live our lives day by day oblivious to the glory of God for which we were made, and therefore dishonor Him, and disrespect Him, and stiff arm Him, and blackball Him, and give Him a vote of no confidence, and reject Him, and belittle Him. Hell is not an overreaction and the cross is not too bloody to save such people. So let's go to the gospel. One more page turn. And there they are. What must be done? Truth number five, God sent his only son, Jesus, to provide eternal life and joy. The Bible verse The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God made a way. God made a way. And then lastly, number six, the benefits purchased by the death of Christ belong to those who repent and trust in him. And we could collapse these two pages into one, could we not? And say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's true. And that's the gospel. And that's glorious. And I say it on behalf of Jesus over every person in this room. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved from hell and sin and guilt and condemnation. But it would be a big mistake to collapse these two pages into one page and just say, believe And you'll be saved. Because the gospel is not fundamentally what you do or what I do. It's what Christ has done. Oh, the gospel is a glorious declaration that what needed to be done to put sin away... To remake the glory of God, as it were, and and repair the injury that we have done to the glory of God. And shut the door of hell and open the door of paradise and take away condemnation and lift guilt off of my tormented soul. All of that happened 2,000 years ago. It's like this. If you are drowning... I've come close a couple of times, once as a little boy in the Atlantic Ocean and once at the bottom of a a swimming pool trying to get the grate out and getting my finger caught in it. If you are drowning and you're able to get out, help! I promise you, help saves nobody. Lifeguards save people. Inner tubes save people. Long rods and hooks save people. Lifeboats save people. Stuff outside of you saves drowning people. All help does is get you connected. Or if you're having a heart attack and you have just enough left to call 911, the 911 call does not save you. Ambulances save you. Paramedics save you. Medicine save you, doctors save you, nurses save you, hospitals save you, things outside of yourself save you. And so it is with your sin and your guilt and your condemnation. The gospel, the heart of the gospel is not what you do. You can't forgive yourself. You can't redeem yourself. You can't justify yourself before a holy God. Somebody has to do that for you. And that's the gospel. The Christian message. And no other religion has a message like this. There are other religions. There's Islam and there's Buddhism and there's Hinduism. There's kind of spiritistic New Age stuff. There's Zoroastrianism. There's Judaism, which is almost complete except for the Messiah. But no other religion has a Savior who comes into the world as the Son of God, stretches himself out on the cross, bears the sins of the world, taking our guilt and our shame and our condemnation on him, rises triumphant three days later over hell and guilt and sin, ascends and sits down at the right hand of the judge, awaits his second coming, and then says to the world, Amnesty. Amnesty. All the rebel creatures that have ever turned against me Because of my blood and my sacrifice and my righteousness, not yours, may have me, may be forgiven, may be saved, may be delivered. That's the gospel. So there has to be two pages. There has to be a cross page and a faith page. But it's the cross that does the work. And the faith, if you were to say, "Oh, what is faith? What do you do? I would say, It's the cry of a helpless drowning person or a cry of a person with a heart attack or a cry of a lost child in the grocery store. Mommy, that's all. Mommy will do what needs to be done. But you can't fix it. So trust him with your life. Trust him with your marriage. Some of you right now especially need to trust him with health. Trust Him with your finances. Some of you are in really difficult circumstances. Lost a job. Some of you. Trust Him with your children. Some of you are just heart sick because of your children. Trust Him especially beneath all of these with your sin and your guilt and your condemnation. And He will just lift them and then He goes to work on all those other parts of your life. So let me pray for you as we move towards the close. Father, Thank you so much for Christ. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. Thank you that he bore our sins in his body on the tree and that he rose victorious over the grave. And now as people respond and put prayer requests and feedback on these, come and meet us with a great hallelujah.